0: What's up, Packers fans? Aaron Negler here with Cheesehead TV, joined as always by Andy Herman, the Don of the Packaday podcast, charged with talking me down on a less-than-victory Tuesday. Andy, where do you want to start with this shit show? Uh, can we talk about the Dolphins-Titans game? Is that <laughs> is that an option? <laughs> we most certainly could. I will say, though, okay, hated everything ESPN did as far as the split screen and forcing me to watch a game I didn't care about. But the game itself and the way Tennessee won, I think is pretty instructive. And the idea that the Dolphins' high-flying offense, somewhat grounded, I know they have the injury to Tyreek Hill, which plays a major role. There's no doubt about it. But look at Tua, who was kind of the toast of the NFL there for a while, has a really poor game last night. Juxtapose that with Jordan Love, who's coming off a stretch where he looks really good and a lot of smoke being blown not going to say up his butt, but, you know, around him as he's getting a lot of praise. He has a very tough outing, and I think it was very clear from the get-go. I mean, almost from the opening series that just didn't have his fastball, man. He was off from the, the opening kickoff, and it felt like as much as he tried to get into a rhythm with everything happening around him, he was a tick off almost all night.
1: We've seen a lot of versions of Jordan Love so far even though we're still sort of it feels like we're still getting introduced to him every single week. I'm not sure we've ever seen that version of Jordan like even when things haven't been looking great at times. He still always feels like kind of confident and it feels like he kind of is going through everything and is is knowing what's going on. He just never looked confident in that game. Didn't like whether it was uh, a confidence in where his receivers were going to be or the game plan or how the offensive line was blocking things up. Like there were times where he abandoned the pocket when he did not need to. There were times where he was throwing off platform when he did not need to. And he, we know he had the fumble. We know he had the pick. We know he had another pick that probably got batted down at the line mm-hmm. of scrimmage, another pick that was pretty much dropped. And it just felt like, even though I didn't think New York was doing anything exotic or crazy, it just never felt like he was really in that rhythm. And credit to him, and I know this is not going to be, a lot of squeaky positive things and fun things <laughs> to come out of this one. But right. there's been a lot of quarterbacks that have made a lot of money over the course of time of having a really bad game, but coming through in a clutch moment when the team needed it most and driving the team down the field to get a touchdown. He did that. It's not his fault, clearly, and obviously, and we've been through this with Aaron in the past, that it's not his fault that the defense immediately gives up points. It's not absolving the errors and the issues earlier in the game. But like I said, a lot of quarterbacks have made a lot of money off of coming up big at the right moment. He did. It just it was unfortunate that it took so long for him to finally find a, a real drive that he could kind of get going with.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the fronts, right? That What the defense was presenting him, to your point, I didn't see things that were like exponentially like overloads or you're going to like bail at the last second. Like when they showed pressure, they were bringing pressure. And I think Jordan did a good job at the line of scrimmage as far as getting them into the appropriate kind of sets protection wise. But man, this is the first time I can recall because going back to October, I didn't ever see it. And I talked to Matt about this when I was in town. Like I never saw him look at the rush the way he did last night. Last night was the first time I ever remember seeing his eyes drop Um, Not quite instantly, but man, you could tell there were plenty of moments where, to your point, where he doesn't need to bail, but he's looking at the rush. And I don't know if it's because of the environment. I don't know if it's something the Giants were doing, but it's the first time I've really noticed that he, not even like abandoning his reads, it was just kind of seemed like he was drawn to okay, uh, what's happening. And maybe that was all the scouting they did leading up to this game, knowing that Martindale loves to send different kinds of pressures needs to double kind of check and confirm what he thought he saw pre-snap is actually what's happening post-snap. I don't know, only Jordan can answer that question, but again, that's the first time to your point, not feeling comfortable, not feeling confident that certainly seemed to be part of that kind of case.
1: And just juxtaposed to the week before where you've got this really good Kansas city defense, where, you know, they're going to bring pressure and try to confuse you and confound you and he had answers to everything in that game, looked totally confident, trusted his line, fired the ball downfield, did everything. And you go to New York uh, less than a week later, or a little over a week later on a Monday night football game, and he looks a million percent different. And not just
0: Jordan. A lot of
1: phases of the yeah, game, a, lot, a of, lot of players, a lot of everything looked a whole heck of a lot different. But just a, an interesting juxtaposition between the two weeks for sure.
0: How much do you think – and I'm not going to – like, it's not this. I know this isn't the thing that caused all of that, right? But how much do you think the absence of Christian Watson played into this? Because you look at those games against Detroit and the Chiefs, he's a primary target in both of those games, has touchdowns in both of those games. Certainly, you got to think defensive coordinators are playing you much differently when Christian Watson's in there. It seemed to affect them in a major way last night.
1: Not only do I think it affected them in a major way, not only do I think it simplified things for Wink Martindale and the Giants' defense, but I think it was a clear and obvious – game plan that they knew they weren't going to be able to stretch the field vertically without Christian and without Luke Musgrave and their speed on the second and third levels and trying to again push things down the field and kind of make the Giants honest that way so they did everything they could to try to make them stretch horizontally with all of the jet sweeps the end arounds, the reverses the flea flickers everything known to man to try to get the Giants spread out I think hoping then that they could hit some of that stuff over the middle either through the passing game or just kind of dylan up the gut whatever it might be to try to, again, spread them out in a different way, not having those guys down the field. So again, A, not only does it make probably things easier for the Giants defense where they can kind of condense everything because you don't have that major speed threat down the field like you would with a Watson or even Musgrave in the middle of the field. Um, Not only do you not have Aaron Jones to kind of be that, you know, spark plug and playmaker in the backfield and the play action maybe doesn't have the same sort of threat that it would if he was in it. Uh, But now you're changing up the game plan. You're not hitting on some of those explosive plays. So it was definitely something that I had some fear of going in, but I think almost they overcompensated for it a little too much and wish they just would have ran a little bit more of their kind of standard offense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know this morning, I know Tyler put up a, a fun meme of Matt with his play sheet being nothing but jet sweeps, and I know, man, look, my Twitter was exploding with people being so upset by the play calls. It's so obvious that that was a major part of the game plan, right? Something they clearly practiced all week, thought there was something they could take advantage of there. And to a point, I understand it, right? Especially without Christian Watson, without Luke Musgrave, you want to get the ball in the hands of Jaden Reed, like as much as you can, because he's probably your one lone explosive type playmaker you got left standing so to that end i understand it but yeah it did feel like maybe he matt got a little false sense of security when first play positive game the very literally first play of the game is handed to Jaden reed yep. then a couple drives later you get into the end zone with reed and you're thinking and those two carries he ended the night with four and it feels like he had like 10 but yeah, he, he had did. four carries you know and it's like and – and then he got push passes and the balls in his hand. But it felt like Matt maybe got a little – not overconfident, but felt like, okay, I'm confirming what we did. The work we did during this week is, is correct and it's working. And so that when it came time, you need a two-point. You need a, a serious conversion. Okay, I'm going to go to this well. Probably went there once too often is my thought. Big time. And I think – you go
1: early in the third quarter, they still get a 20-yard run off of a, a jet sweeper reverse. I forget because they ran so many iterations of it I know, I right. what it was, but <laughs> right. they get a 20-yarder in early third quarter, and then the Giants made the adjustment, and they were like, all right, we're not going to let this happen anymore. They get stuffed a few more times in some really key plays, even down in the red zone, and it was obvious that the Giants made the adjustments that they needed to and now you needed to have a counter off of that. And maybe that's just like running up the gut because now they're playing the sidelines as much. Or maybe it's mm-hmm. like literally faking the sweep and then bootlegging off of it. There had to be something that you could kind of counter off of it a little bit. And they just didn't have that. And I think it was probably to the point where once they figured it out, you just kind of have to go, all right, that's sort of off the playbook now. We've sure. got to go in a different yeah. direction, especially, right. especially, especially, especially on the two-point conversion play.
0: What was fascinating to me, too, you mentioned the red zone and you look at the sequence at the end. They get the big fumble recovery, heads up play by Carrington Valentine. You're in position. And that was kind of the first time all night that they went like five wide empty at times. And they really played it as though they were kind of up against the clock when they really had control of the game at that point. Yes, you have to score. There's zero doubt about it. But I was surprised at how they went almost up tempo. And, yeah, like, look, you got to score. No question about it. But you did leave a minute 30 on the clock. Like, at some point, I was thinking, all right, run the ball, make them use their timeouts at least, at bare minimum. But it it did feel like, okay, we've scored, and we're all very excited. That's literally when I put up the lot of ball game left tweet because we've seen Joe Barry in these situations. We've seen how he operates. There was no doubt in my mind that uh, once they scored, the the Giants had more than enough time with two timeouts to march the field, and all they needed was a field goal. It just felt like a missed opportunity on the offensive side. I think it was as well, and there were
1: definitely mistakes made. What I will say is the giants took all of three plays with no timeouts to get in green Bay's field goal range. Or like maybe it was four plays, whatever to get in field goal range. Anyway, I'm not sure how much even them using those couple timeouts would have unfortunately, you know, mattered in that situation, but it doesn't absolve the process. And they probably could have taken a little bit more time off. I get like, maybe the thinking there too, is like, you want to leave yourself outs where if you don't get in the end zone, you still have two timeouts left. And now you can maybe hold them three downs and get a punt and still get the ball back and have a chance. I understand all of that, but and you're hoping you're going to get the two-point conversion and that they're not going to drive down and score a touchdown. So worst-case scenario is they tie the game with a field goal. Just a a lot did not go according to plan at the end of game, at any point in the game. Um, But they they (laughs) probably left too much time. They didn't get the two-point. They allow them to get into field goal range with ease anyway. It was all just that type of night for Green Bay.
0: Speaking of getting into field goal range with ease, I mean – Mr. Joe Barry, there he is. There's the guy we know. Look, they've clearly, these last couple games against Detroit and the Chiefs found a way of working on defense, or so they thought. That all kind of disappeared last night, especially up front. The reason they were able to win those games was because of their control of the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, really, but especially on defense. All of the discipline, all of the kind of lane integrity that we saw from this pass rush the last couple games absolutely evaporated last night. And all I can think is, in like, look, I have no idea the psyche of every NFL player. Like, and I hear this kind of talk and I'm pretty dismissive of it until you get to last night and you're like, sure feels like they maybe took the Giants for granted, especially up front, because I've seen them b- play at a very high level in a very disciplined way. And that all evaporated last night.
1: And the, the other thing, too, is maybe from a psyche standpoint, you see a team that's given up 69 sacks on the year and a quarterback that's gotten sacked numerous times. And you're you're maybe thinking, oh, let's go pad some stats. Maybe let's get maybe yeah. we can up my next contract a little bit by getting and you kind of maybe let go of your assignments a little bit and kind of go, you know, Tommy DeVito hunting rather than kind of doing your job and your one eleven. Right. We talk all the time about complementary football, meaning offense, defense, and special teams all complementing each other and making it obviously an easier football game for everyone. Complementary football, and I know you know this, but complementary football exists within your own scheme and everything as well. And what we saw in this game was it would be Devontae Wyatt winning clean up front, but nobody else is. And Tommy DeVito just sidesteps it and takes off for 10 yards or Rashawn Gary coming across the edge. And, Tommy DeVito sidesteps it, just takes off for 15 more yards. And it was just, it was not a group of players playing t- cohesive, together 11 person football. It was 11 individual guys doing their own things at all times. And it just didn't feel connected at any point. And I think that was honestly one of the big, because there were times where you can look all across, like there are plays Isaiah McDuffie made, Wyatt was getting into the backfield, LVN had a couple plays, Gary got in there a couple times. I thought Clark and Slayton had good games. Like you look individually and you can actually see some things that kind of went okay, but like one person would win and everyone else didn't. And then you just ended up with a, a mess and a nightmare and everything else.
0: Were you surprised? I'm sure you weren't, but were you surprised at Barry's very passive approach to Tommy DeVito? I mean, I I say, I know you're probably not, but maybe you were. I I, It's just to a point where I almost expect it now, you know, when you're going into fourth quarters against the Desmond Ritters of the world and the Tommy DeVitos of the world, and you know, as a Packers fan, how this is going to transpire exactly how, you hear from Matt LaFleur press conference today. Well, we had a man call. and We're playing way off. We can't be doing that. I could have told you that was going to be the approach, and I'm just a fan sitting on the outside because I see it week after week after week. So, yeah, I guess I'm not surprised. I'm sure you weren't surprised. No, not surprised.
1: It feels like the Joe Barry defense has one setting. It's a default setting. It comes factory set, and you can't change it. <laughs> And that's right. that's all it is. Like they're gonna do right. the same thing, regardless, regardless of whether you're playing Patrick Mahomes, Tommy DeVito, Danny DeVito, any other person. It just doesn't matter. They're gonna do the exact same thing. Uh-huh. And I, I think it it's frustrating. Like you can feel at times almost like the players being frustrated. Of like you you. I'm sure they want to play a more attacking, physical brand of football, coming up and challenging players. And it's not to say that when they do those things, because there were times that he brought extra prep players and. Again, DeVito sidesteps, goes up the field. They don't get the sack, and those things happen. They're playing man coverage on the play to Keyshawn Nixon at the end of the game that he gives up the 30 plus yarder. So it's not, it's not obviously ever as simple as just saying it's all the same thing. But when you play kind of the same standard style of football week in and week out, it just doesn't leave you being this attacking minded. Uh, physical, imposing, you're not setting the tone. The, the other team is always setting the tone against you. I think you can only get so far in
0: the NFL playing that way. Couldn't agree more. And uh, to round out this uh, cornucopia of crap from the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football last night, where are we on Basaccia? It just feels weird when you have a unit where most of the attention this offseason was placed on Basaccia's special teams unit. As far as guys who are signed and/or extended, get trying to give him the resources that he needs, these are lots of his handpicked dudes, and it is—I mean, it is a inconsistent unit, and that I think is being kind.
1: 28th in DVOA for anyone that cares about DVOA, tied with the defense, 28th in DVOA, and for you know, we we obviously hear all the time about the the fireberry and the stuff like that, but like. The special teams has not been good either. And I go back to 2021, and I think the 2021 Packers special teams might be the worst special teams unit I've ever seen in my life for any team ever. It was that bad. So when when Bissachia comes in in 2022 and takes over, just not being the most god-awful special teams I've ever seen, and they were like 28th, 27th, I actually felt like that was a legitimate step in the right direction. It was at least not got awful bad. It wasn't losing them games consistently. And it took a step forward, gave a lot of accident forgiveness during that year, because again, you're, you're trying to change an entire culture of abysmal special teams for like two decades. So I was more than willing to give a lot in that season in 2023. I definitely had a higher expectation. I'm not, again, my, when we say high expectations for special teams in Green Bay, I'm not Competence. saying top five. I'm not saying Competence. top 10. I'm not even saying top 15. Competent, like a top 20. Give me a top 20 special teams. And that's not happening. And to your <sighs> point, there's a lot of special team. Like Christian Welch is on this team for special teams. Dallin Levitt for the first half of the season was on, Zane Anderson is on this team for special teams. Rudy Ford is not playing defense right now. He is playing special teams. Like there are, a bunch of guys that are on this team specifically for special teams. They made the transition from hey, we're gonna keep some Alex Lights and some Vernon Scotts and some guys that we think can develop into players, Yash Nyman's down the line as our you know 52nd, 53rd guys on the roster to hey, those last four or five spots, those are gonna be special teams guys dedicated to to pure special teams, and you're still not getting the results. And I know rookie kicker, first-time punter, again, I'm not. Not expecting top five, but you wanted something better than this in year two, and we certainly have not seen that so far.
0: And my thing is, like, I understand guys are up and down, injuries happen, and you're shuffling a million dudes every week, in and out, what are their responsibilities, who's on which unit. Totally understand that. But literally every other team is dealing with that as well. Every team that displays competence on special teams on a week-to-week basis is dealing with that as well. So I don't see that as an excuse or an out. It's life in the league. It's part of the gig. And look, we're not saying anything Bisaccia doesn't know, but it is supremely disappointing when you do kind of put an emphasis and a focus on this unit that has, as you said, traditionally been such a thorn in the side of this franchise. Man, you really expected a lot more. And again, to your caveats, yes, very young. I mean, Carlson alone, you talk about Bisaccia. I'm not going to say he pounded the table for this kid, but he certainly was on board with that selection. And yep. has talked many times about how he, you know, believes in him and knows that he can get the job done. And they're living with some of that, some of that rawness, some of the uh, inexperience, all the stuff that got his brother cut early in Minnesota. Uh, clear, the Packers are going to stick with Carlson, but that's just a one. Like Nixon was brought onto this team because of Basatya, that connection. You know what I mean? And yep. he big, humongous play last week to help win a game on defense just a, as equally bad and awful decision on special teams last night to help swing a game that was very winnable. I mean, yep. you I know you put out the tweet of all the laundry list of mistakes that the Packers made last night. Like there are the mistakes that cost you, no doubt about it, but like Nixon's mistake, it's egregious in a way. Like I understand he's trying to make a play, right? But at some point you got to understand where you are and what is happening in this game. And every possession becoming so precious as the the time kind of ticks on is that to me the one good thing that probably came of it was he was immediately benched and i'm like look this is progress we've gone from let amari rogers fumble 10 times before we do anything to hey he, he made a major gaffe let's get someone else back there right away see andy Progress, progress.
1: And the thing is, too, with that, that play, that that's such a, a game changing game altering. The Packers are up by three in the second half, only allowed seven points up until that point, had the ball around the 30 yard line if he just jumps on it. And I, we know that the offense wasn't exactly clicking on all cylinders that day. But you go down and score a touchdown. um, You're up by 10 and against the Giants. And now you make them more one dimensional my goodness, it could completely change the entirety of that game and maybe even the rest of the season for Green Bay, depending on how they go from here. Um, that's a huge one. And I wanted to ask you too. So like now we're, we're this far through the season, six and seven, some incredible wins against some really good teams, some incredible losses against some really bad teams. Um, what, what are your overarching thousand foot view of the you know thoughts of the Green Bay Packers at this point?
0: Well, they're right where I thought they would be and should be. Uh, I think you look at a developmental year, which we've all talked about ad nauseum, and how young the team is. It's all about building a foundation in 2023, and the wins and losses. Yeah, we're gonna live and die every week on what happens on the football field, right? Like it's the whole reason we're all here. But man, you look at it long term, and I just we just talked to Wayne Lehrer about this on Carry the G Radio. You know, long term, this is all very good for this collection of guys going through. Everything, everything they went through last night, all that frustration, that's banked reps, as Rogers used to like to talk about. You know, the idea that, oh, we've been in these situations now and we know what we have to do better. We know what we have to count on, who we can count on long term. It's great. Short term, I hate it and it's frustrating and I want to jump out the window right here. But, you know, it's again, you you got to look you got to look long term because the whole idea in Green Bay is to open another window. And the, that begins in 2023. Nothing. It's not a referendum, which yeah. I know in this internet age, it's impossible for it not to be. Like, my God, I don't know what your Twitter feed is like, but every missed throw by Jordan Love is he's mid. He's not the guy. They got to draft a quarterback. It's like, can we just dial it back a li- just a little bit? That's all I ask
1: totally there with you. It's a season about building progress and it, it does suck in the short term when you have a game like that, where you built a bunch of progress and then you take this massive step back and, um, they're, they're going to learn from that. And I think they've learned from it earlier in the season of how to have games like that and then bounce back the, the big win streak after they were three and six. Um shows that they're capable of doing something like that against much better teams than what they face on the schedule the remainder of the season. I'm excited to see how they respond to this one on a short week at back at yep. home, probably with a plethora of injury issues again. So let's see how they deal with it and see if they can take another step forward.
0: That's the big thing, right? The juggling of the roster, I think, is going to be... It's going to go a long way this weekend. Look, I know there's been so much smoke around Jair Alexander. There had been a little... It seems to be a little less now hand-wringing about Aaron Jones... But those are like really good football players that you have on the sideline, right? Christian Watson now has been added to that mix. You know, who knows how Wicks comes out of this? Sounds like he's going to have that problem with that ankle. Uh, yep. You know, Jaden Reed was in concussion protocol. So it's like, yeah, you might have Grant Dubose out there on Sunday. Who knows? Like, but you got to find a way. And this is about building a program, right? Building, again, like that contention window. So fascinated to see how they approach it. Maybe they button it up and just run the ball. Uh, that's not going to it's hey, it's Joe Barry save his job season. This is
1: when he's at his best, those last four weeks of the season, where he just you know he's, yeah, he's gonna hold right. Baker Mayfield. They're gonna he's do gonna four interceptions on Baker Mayfield.
0: Baker Mayfield's gonna get a concussion and throw him two interceptions. That's <laughs> that's what you're telling me. All right, exactly. I see, I see I see the vision. Andy, I can't thank you enough for the time. As always, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Make sure you're checking out Andy's stuff, Pack day podcast, all across the internet. Andy, thanks a lot, buddy. Appreciate you, Andy.